you know, all of us guys who get together once a year, all played football, baseball, basketball, all that stuff growing up together. You know, we're 45 years old. We're sitting around not living in the glory days, you know, but talking about those glory days, talking about this game or that game or this coach. And, you know, we're not sitting around talking about math class. We're not talking about science class. We're talking about, you know, the good old days, the memories we have as 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 student athletes because of those coaches who poured into our lives. And um, it's it's just it, athletics is such a special thing. You better get some results really early on. It was a battle, but we had a, a line in the sand and here's where we're at. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. So glad you took the time to tune in, and I hope you enjoyed the upcoming conversation. If you're listening in within the first few days of release, then be sure to join me and host of amazing high school coaches for the third HS Coaches Club chat. It's this Tuesday, August 17th at 9 p.m. Eastern on Twitter. The first two were awesome, and I'm excited to have you with me for chat number three. And I also hope you found something helpful in the newsletter that it inboxes on Wednesday morning. If you're not receiving them, head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to sign up. It's free now and forever. Thanks for being a part of the club. And a huge thank you to Will and the gang over at Netting Pros for sponsoring the High School Coaches Club. In addition to the design aspect of facility improvement, netting professionals specialize in the fabrication and installation of custom netting, digital graphic wall padding, windscreen turf, turf protectors, benches, cubbies, and so much more. Obviously, baseball and softball are gigantic markets for netting pros, but they have customers in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field, golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They are truly making facilities better all across the country, providing high-quality products and services to recreational, college, professional, and of course, high school, facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707 emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking Netting Pros out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. They're amazing, and they're improving programs one facility at a time. My guest today is Chris Four. He's currently the principal at Palmdale Aerospace Academy, sounds really fancy, in California. He's also the president of the California Coaches Association, in addition to serving as an expert witness, and this is pretty cool, for court cases involving high school sports. Prior to his current role, he was an athletic director who also spent 16 years as a high school football coach with a particular zeal for special teams, and we'll get into that in this convo. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 43 with Chris Four. All right, welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Yeah, Max, thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, I, there's a lot of directions I know we could go, and you, you wear, uh, obviously, uh, just an absolute insane amount of hats. It's almost hard to understand how you can have enough energy to be a, a principal, be the you know president of the California Coaches Association, and everything that goes on with that. But I wanted to start here. I wanted to kind of start here because I didn't want to miss this at some point in the conversation and then regret not getting to it. I saw that you have served seemingly dozens of hours on the stand in courtrooms as an expert witness. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I I started that about four years ago or so now, and uh, it's been it's been very interesting. I just got a call uh, one night, well, an email from a, a lawyer out here in Los Angeles years ago who just found my website and uh, 
needed somebody to give him an opinion on a case that he had. And so uh, that's kind of how I got into it. it it's been uh, intriguing, very intriguing work. Uh, I think I've, I've, I'm at about 16 or 17 cases, uh, literally all over the nation, but probably half of them are, are here in California. Well, and it, it's super fascinating because I, uh, you know, it never crossed my mind, but obviously there's plenty of litigation and court cases that go on that involve high school sports. And at some level, they have to bring in somebody who's experienced in it because you you can't just bring in the the people who are involved in it. You have to bring in experts outside of it. And I never thought that, well, duh, the experts are going to be the guys who have done it and gals who have done it, the actual coaches. It's it's just a bizarre deal, but it makes so much sense. I never thought of it before. No, absolutely. When, when this guy, uh, this lawyer, you know, he, he, he reached out to me and I called him and I said, I, I've, I've never done this. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a law degree. And he said, no, perfect. <laughs> and he said, uh, reading on your website, you know, you've got a, a great education in athletics. You've got, you know, almost 16, 17 years at the time, uh, coaching high school football. This is a high school in football injury. Uh, you've been a head coach for eight years, you've been an athletic director, you're a certified athletic administrator. You're the perfect guy for us to give an opinion on and to give us an opinion of, <laughs> you know, the the facts in this incident. Did did the coaching staff do it right or wrong compared to, uh, you know, what they should have done? And so he sent me over uh, a bunch of facts on the case. And then I, I called him back to give him my opinion on whether or not the coach in the school handled everything right. Now, mind you, I had no idea which side he was looking for. Um, <laughs> right. So I just, he said, you just tell me what you think when you read the facts. And so eventually what happened was the, what I, what I uh, opined, it's called in the fancy lawyer language. <laughs> what I opined about was that the coaching staff did absolutely everything right. The The school wasn't liable for this kid's injury. The coaching staff wasn't liable for this kid's injury. And it ended up that he worked for the school district. So um, he said, what you've just said right now is, is exactly what I wanted to hear. And so I'd like to hire you for this case. So that's kind of how I got into it. Just absolutely fell right backwards into it by luck. And, uh, it's a, it, again, just, I've been able to, to help the schools I'm at, um, in some tremendous ways, because now that I've got this experience, I've sat in a courtroom, I've sat in depositions. I know how these lawyers are thinking and acting and what they're looking to, uh, that's been pretty valuable, you know, in, in a couple of different schools I've been at since, since starting this. I imagine it's probably valuable as the the president of a coaches association too, because obviously as a coach, we're we're in situations obviously where kids are you know tremendously in our care, and we could certainly err and do things we shouldn't do. And so, I imagine that role also helps there too. Yeah, no, absolutely. It gives a it gives a set of eyes to uh, to to everything you know, athletics related to to help guys, and then you know, since some guys have have seen that. Um, either on my website or they've seen me tweet a little bit about a case or, or something. Um, they've contacted me and said, Hey, we just got, you know, we just had this happen. Um, what do we need to be aware of? What do we need to look for? What do we need to keep? And, and so, you know, I, I'm always, uh, willing and able to help coaches out. And that, that's, and, it's and really it, cool. And, yeah. 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 
it's a it's a neat it's a neat deal that I never thought of but makes a lot of sense. So I'm gonna not not to make an old joke or anything, but I'm gonna ask you to to take me way back and go back to your own high school days and kind of just walk us through what you did sports wise in high school and what your own experiences were like. You know, it's interesting, Max. Last night about. 18 of us who all grew up together out here in San Diego area. Uh, we all get together once a year and it was last <laughs> night we went to the Padres game. That's why I'm, That's I'm awesome. sounding, yeah, sounding a little hoarse <laughs> this morning, but those guys I grew up with, uh, you know, we had a great experience in a small town, um, a one high school town out here, which is very rare. Uh, it's called Fallbrook. Um, my high school career was cut short due to a car accident. Uh, between my uh, sophomore and junior year. But I played as a freshman. I played football uh, and I played baseball. And then my baseball career, I wasn't a very good baseball player. There were about 50 or 60 of us who tried out my freshman year. 25 of us made the team. <clears throat> the next year, they brought all 25 of those guys in and they said, hey, only nine of you are going to make the JV team. So um, and they, yeah, and they just said, you know, most of you need to go look and, and go do track. Uh, and so that's, that was a very clear message to me that day that <laughs> that meeting was because I was probably number 25 out of 25 my freshman year. So sophomore year, I, I threw the shot and disc and that was a lot of fun doing that. And, uh, and then also played football, but between my sophomore and junior year that summer, um, I was in a real bad car accident where, my friend was driving. He was actually killed. Um, sadly, we, we hit a telephone pole. He took the brunt of that, um, that collision and, and, and died right there on the spot. And I was in a hospital for about 23 days or so um, with a, an a injury to my left leg that uh, was you know, severe enough to, to end my playing career. I broke every bone in the leg. I had a, a rod put into the tibia and a rod put in the femur. Um, eventually over two years, I had about seven surgeries on this leg. So just to keep it all together and functioning. So needless to say, my, my junior year there, I was in a wheelchair most of the year on the sidelines. Um, and then my senior year is actually when I started coaching. So I wasn't able to play, you know, with all my buddies, I tried to come back in spring football, uh, broke, the re re-injured re-broke a couple of bones on the very first uh drill we did because I just wasn't ready to come back and uh but my my head coach who was kind of served as a mentor to me in that in that little town he he had uh approached me about coaching the freshman team because he was you know he was just trying to he was a great educator he saw I was very very discouraged from re-injuring that leg and he knew how much football meant to me so he got me involved coaching as as a uh, senior, and you know wow. ended up ended up doing that for eighteen years. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's where that was my next kind of lead in was like, did you did that help you lead into coaching? And then obviously the answer is yes. I've heard of guys, oh, yeah. I've heard of college players like baseball coaches coming back in the summer and coaching like their summer high school oh, yeah. teams. I've never heard of an actual high school senior coaching in that high school that's that's pretty amazing that that coach did that for you yeah pretty a pretty rare thing no doubt you know um and it was it, it was really neat I just got to go back and I mean I literally coached most of the staff that had had me three years ago as a player I was now you know wearing a different hat coaching with those guys in fact one of those men just recently passed away 
uh, from cancer. He was a big mentor at our school. He coached there like almost 30 years and uh, coach Madden, just a, a heck of a person. But it, it was very interesting. You know, I'd, I'd coach Monday to Thursday and then Friday I, I threw on a jersey and was, you know, actually selected as most inspirational player uh, as a senior even though, you know, obviously I wasn't playing, but just on the sidelines, um, cheering my guys on, pumping them up, getting water, taking care of the kicking tee, whatever I could do uh, Friday night with, with my boys, you know, my class of 94 guys that I would do just because I loved the game so much and I loved uh, being around my, my teammates so much. Yeah, well, it's hard to move forward. When an accident like that happens, that for I think for most kids, that's probably really crippling. Um, and not necessarily in a physical sense. Yeah, no doubt. Too, it, it, was, certainly it was emotionally. It was. It was. Yeah, it was very, very depressing thing. Yeah. Well, that's cool that, that Sorry, talk some good. Not, not, no, no, not that. Not that some good came out of it necessarily, but that it just it helped kind of set possibly set kind of the course that your life ended up taking obviously you've been in education for a super long time helping kids paying things forward obviously you got your coaching start while you're in high school um so then obviously you dive in uh and you, you've been coaching for a long time now i know i'm looking at uh looking at you a little bit special teams clearly is a place that's uh, very valuable to your heart <laughs> i know for a lot of coaches is kind of the i don't know the ugly little duckling that's sitting in the corner that they don't want to pay much much attention to <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. Most most guys don't, you know, want to do too much with it. It's it's you know, it's not literally one third of, of a football game like a lot of guys say, you know, play wise. But um, yeah, it was my, my second year of coach and I, I went up and coached at JV back there in the 90s. And the head coach asked me to figure out and kind of coordinate all the special teams. And and I just I fell in love with it, you know, way back when. And then um, I I. You know, I took a little time off when I went to college. I wasn't coaching in college. Uh, but then as soon as I graduated from college, I got back and then uh, started coaching again. I think, you know, it was a four-year break there. But uh, uh, I, I, as soon as I started at that, that next school, I said to the head coach, you know, he hired me to coach offensive line. And then I said, hey, I'd love to, you know, also coach some special teams. So I don't know why. I just – I fell in love with it. I, I think I might have gone back to just uh, – sitting around a lot my junior year at practice I I just I watched the kickers a lot and so um I don't know for whatever reason I just have always had a little bit of a passion uh for for coaching special teams so I absolutely love it <laughs> there is uh I just brought back a memory from my own high school career I remember our I think it was my sophomore year we were playing I think it was the quarterfinals game and uh, I think we, we had just kicked a field goal and taken, I think, like a two-point lead. And we go to kick off, and our, our kicker kicks it out of bounds. And then with about five seconds left, the other – the other team threw a hail mary, caught it in the end zone, and won the game. And I remember for the for like ever since then we've wow. always thought, man, how many different things could we have done than kick a ball out of bounds? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. A lot of times coaches don't even think through, you know, different scenarios like that that really end up being game changing, you know. And there's there's a lot of coaches out there who just kind of roll the ball out on Thursdays and. And, uh, you know, day before the game, line up all their special teams and, and they don't put their kids in position to practice all the different little things that happen special teams wise. And then Friday night, you know, they they lose on a 
on a weird special teams play or because they weren't ready or they didn't get, you know, they didn't get a field goal off in time or they got something blocked because they only had 10 guys out there. And mm. I just always thought, you know, you, you owe it to your players to be very well organized special teams wise so that none of that stuff happens. I want to say it's Miami. I'm not sure, but they're, I, I'm pretty sure it's Miami that made, got famous for it, but I could certainly be wrong. Um, but they, but being on special teams was a, like a privilege. It wasn't something for those players who like didn't play in, on the offense or the defense. It was something that you earned the opportunity to be on special teams and kind of made it a point of emphasis, something cool, something that's kind of this private club that you want to be on and you want to work really hard to get onto it. And I just think, you know, with a lot of programs, it's, you know, we've kind of mentioned it before. It's kind of the opposite of that. It's like, eh, it's, that's where you can get some reps if you don't normally play. Yeah, and coaches always have to decide. You know, I, I talk about that in, in the different clinics I do, and I say, you know, are you going to have your thoroughbreds out there or are you going to have your donkeys out there? You know, like like you said, um, sometimes you, you get all the kids who don't play, coaches get them on the field through special teams, and then they get upset when those kids make, you know, make big mistakes or what have you, so – I talk about, you know, we, we don't put our backups out there on offense or defense to just get them reps, um, you know, put them out there as a home. Why, why do we do that with the kicking game? I, I don't know. I've never, I've never followed that strategy, you know. Now, if there's, if there's two guys that are real close that we think are both, you know, hey, I'm looking mm-hmm. for a left guard for my punt team, and it's like these two kids are pretty close at being able to do that job well and, one of them starts, one of them doesn't. I'll probably put the kid who doesn't start out there because he's going to be more fresh. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I think some programs do a really good job of of making it a competitive thing. You know, maybe they'll buy all their guys' shirts or or what have you. One of the things I, I've done, um, even my last year of coaching a few years ago, was at the junior college level out here in Southern California where kids, when I first got there, you said special teams and they all ran to the sidelines. Nobody wanted to play them. <laughs> um, I, yeah, that's, I mean, that's how it was. These are kids who were all the stars of their team who yeah, most man. of them never played special teams in high school, you know, too much their, their senior year. And, and one of the things I started there, I just carried it over from doing it in high school as a special teams player of the week. And I would give these guys a $10 uh, coupon every single Monday for a gift, a gift certificate to a, a restaurant out here at a burger place called in and out and then they competed for the whole year a 300 dollars cash prize which i think was against the rules but this was 2017 but uh it was either 300 dollars cash or your helmet um Ooh, that's and that's one. yeah and that's that's what we did and, and so each week uh you know you got points if you made a tackle on special teams you got a certain amount of points if you decleated somebody you got some points force fumble <laughs> cause fumble there were like 12 categories and I'm telling you what that got kids are so competitive that when we, they would be texting me on the weekends. Hey coach, go look at this play at this time. Um, I got to make sure you get my points for this. I, I made this tackle. I depleted this kid. Um, you know, we had, I had a key block. And so it became something we put those points up on the board on Mondays on a big PowerPoint and, you know, it was some of the most excitement in the meetings would happen when we updated those things every week. So that was one way we, we got our kids uh, real excited. And then, I mean, it w- literally, Max, it went from 
blow the whistle, special teams in spring, guys are just running for the hills, to week three or four of the season, guys were begging me to get on special teams. So <laughs> that's that's a good culture we were able to develop there at that school using our special well, teams player of the week program. It's almost like in like elementary school when you've got the gold stars and the chart and it's almost that exact yeah, same yeah. thing, just just scaled up to the college level. And so obviously you mentioned earlier like shirts, like I know high school kids for some reason the free t-shirt is it's like winning the lottery. Like they'll do pretty much anything for a free t-shirt. So any, any like incentivizing that sort of thing, it's just the gold star idea. And it, it works incredibly well to help build the culture you're trying to build. Yeah, no, great point. That's, that's exactly what it was. We, we printed those out. We had them up in the room and, you know, we, every, every Monday I'd have the special teams player of the week uh, chart just from that week. And then we had, 10 columns for our 10 games and they could see the points go right across and total up. And I'd reorder it every Friday or every, uh, every Monday they'd come in and see who was first place, second place. And we actually, that year, we, it literally came down going into our last game. You know, one kid was at like 52 points. One kid was at 48 points. Um, and it was, you know, basically between two guys to be the special teams player of the year. And uh, that, that was, that's a really fun way to do things. Fun program. If there's any coaches who want, to know more about that, you can just Google uh, Chris Four Special Teams Player of the Week, and I have all my charts and everything article on how I do that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, you have a ton of uh, amazing stuff online that people can access. And uh, I, I don't coach football, but it's just there's so much on there that you could you could steal from. I know then eventually you become the the head coach at Linfield Christian, and in one of the podcast episodes you did, uh, you made a remark just kind of off the cuff. I don't I don't know how many people caught it, but I, I found it to be absolutely hilarious. Where uh, you were talking about how at Linfield Christian you knew at that point, like you eventually wanted to move into an athletic director role. <laughs> and you said that the uh, superintendent was married to the athletic director. So you knew there was no, there wasn't necessarily a future AD job for you at that school. Yeah, so you ended yeah. up, you ended up resigning with no, nothing prepared to go into after that. Like you just, you just kind of took a leap of faith that something good would come along. Yeah, that was that was interesting. That's way, man, I was really dumb to do that. First of all, never, <laughs> ever do that. Never resign your position without something. And in fact, the, the athletic director is a very, very good friend of mine. In fact, we I'd known him since uh, I was in high school. And I walked in to have that conversation with him. And he said, No, Chris, don't do this. You know, you don't. Let's see, I was that was 2003. So, you know, I, I was 32, 33, something like that. And just thought, Oh, I can easily go get another coach head coaching job somewhere. I can, <laughs> I can easily get an athletic director job. I just thought it was easy. And he's like, you don't have anything lined up. Like, don't do this. Well, first of all, he didn't want me to leave school, you know? Um, and, and then he said, get, give it a little time. Let's talk about again in another month, you know, but I'm not accepting your resignation. And so that was, that was funny. But then I went back <laughs> in, I said, dude, I, I got to get my name out there and I got to start to let people know I want this, you know, I'm looking for this type of job. So Scott, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I appreciate your advice, but I'm, I'm going to step down, you know? And so it was kind of a pivotal time in life. I, uh, my wife, my wife and I were expecting uh, our first we just found out she was pregnant another stupid reason to leave a job until you actually <laughs> right. have one but uh yeah you know we were trying max real hard to get out to texas um we just we were like you know we're both born and raised out here in southern california but 
we said, Hey, let's go move out there and start our family out there in Texas. And, uh, I got, I got very close. It was down to myself and one other gentleman for a, a job out there. They, they just treated us first class, flew it, flew my wife and I out there for three days. And literally it was like a three day interview process we went through and they ended up choosing another guy who was, you know, born and bred out there in Texas. But um, at the end of the day, I ended up getting a job about 40 miles away there from Linfield at another school in, in South Orange County and became an athletic director, head football coach there. And, and it, it was all, all good and gravy, but it, it took, uh, took about two months. So, but yeah, I, I do not advise leaving a job until you have one. That, that was pretty stressful. Yeah, that's my next thing is as the as you know, like a president of a coaches association, I don't know that you're necessarily sending that advice out to a lot of people of quitting a, a job that you're you're in that you feel good about in the hopes of getting something that you don't even know that exists necessarily yet. So um, pretty cool. Anyway, yeah. you ended up at, uh, you know, Capital Valley Christian. Um, I know you took a team that was winless and had really struggled for a handful of years and almost had a winning record. You mentioned having a few games where they, you know, a couple of things go the other way and all of a sudden you're seven and three, but you ended up five and five after an oh and nine year. Um, just as you kind of look back big picture, what do you think was the main, main few causes that helped you turn that program around in such a short time period? Honestly, it was, yeah, it was, it was all the same kids. It was the same league. I mean, the, the only way, yeah, I think they were two and eight the year before and then, and then oh and nine or two and eight and then oh and nine the year before I got there. So they won two games in two years. And mm. and we open up and, and go two and oh right out of the gate. It it was uh it's a hundred percent just just leadership. You know, that's all it was. It the the staff there before just didn't know football well enough to be to be a head coach. I mean, honestly, that's that's what it was. Um, because we weren't you know, some kind of magicians or something. We, I brought in a, a good staff. I think they only had three guys there before. They just weren't running the program real well. So, um, you know, we brought in a, a real staff of seven or eight guys and, you know, um, that, and just had to sell the heck out of the fact that we knew what we were doing to these kids. The weight room was a big deal when I first got there. Um, all the kids, it was a small school. And so a lot of kids played multiple sports. And so we had to find a time to work out in the weight room. Uh, two of my best football players, uh, a quarterback and a wide receiver, they came up to me and said, hey, we don't lift weights. You know, we play baseball. We don't lift weights. And, and I, you know, I had to make a decision right there. Are you going to just let these kids make that decision or are you going to have absolutes? And for, for us, lifting weights was an absolute. It wasn't something you just got to choose to do. So I told them uh, I respected their position, but if they weren't going to, play foot uh if they weren't going to lift weights they weren't going to play football uh the next day both dads come down to meet with me and they you know they tried saying our sons are playing football and they're not lifting weights and so um (laughs) it was a battle but but we had a a line in the sand and you know we're here's where we're at so and that was just indicative of kind of the whole program I mean that's why they didn't win very much you know you got kids calling shots like that so um both kids ended up you know lifting weights and we worked out a schedule and and I made some compromises on, you know, the dads didn't want them doing certain lifts. And at that first year, that wasn't a big deal to me. I wanted their butts in the weight room. So uh, at the end of the day, one, you know, ended up starting at wide receiver. And and the other ones ended up starting to be our, he probably the best wing T. I I ran the wing T. He's probably the best wing T quarterback I ever had, this other kid, Andre. So 
um, you know, those were, those were little changes we had to make in the program just to bring in, you know, um, how, how a real football high school football program should, should be ran. So it was, uh, it was, a, it was a very fun year. Yeah. We lost one game with the offense on the field for the last play. We just couldn't, we couldn't punch it in from one yard out. And then one, one game with the defense on the field, a, a last Hail Mary, so we, we lost those two, but you know, at the end of the day, we went five and five, went to the playoffs. Those kids had never been to the playoffs. And uh, so it, it was a, a real special year for us there. Well, I, I just spoke with a coach yesterday for a future episode as well, who is in his second year. So his first year, he took over a program that had lost every game uh, up in Illinois. And um, he took over last year in the summer and then the pandemic hit and everything. So they ended up playing four games in the spring, lost all four. So he's going into this upcoming season. And we were kind of, we had that kind of conversation about um, standards and whatnot, but really what it boiled down to. And what I think every coach who has had a successful program has said to me over the years is that, the the one separator over everything else is the other than culture I'd say is the weight room which I think is deeply tied to your culture but I think there's just you use the word absolute and I think that's incredibly true that you the weight room can't be a negotiable like you, to be a high school athlete on a successful team you need that team to lift weights badly and be consistent about it and show up and get after it because it's the biggest separator between teams that succeed, I think, and teams that don't. Oh yeah, no, there's, there's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you can't in in most areas of the country, you can't have a very solid athletic program without a good weight program. There's just, there's no two ways about it. You also once said uh, another line you said in a, in a podcast. Can't remember the same one or a different one, but you said that um, one of the biggest keys to 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 getting programs to be successful, to getting kids to be successful was just the simple fact of getting the kids to believe that they can do it. Um, which is, it's so simple, but at the same time, like it's an incredibly, it, it can be an incredibly difficult process to get kids to get there. Cause especially you're talking about a team that went, Oh, and nine, you said, you know, that almost every kid's back from the previous year. So that it's fresh on their memory, winning two games over the last couple of years. And so getting, walking into a situation like that and getting kids that are, I don't know if you used to losing is the right phrasing, but they've been losing and getting them to believe in themselves is, I, I don't imagine it's as easy as just walking in saying, all right, we're going to be good. Here we go. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's, you, you have to be a, a psychologist, you know, as a coach yeah. to be able to, yeah, to sell the kids on it. And you better get some results really early on. You know, that's, that's one of the things I learned mm -hmm. through that process was, when you say, you know, something's going to work this way and, and you have to convince them, uh, for instance, our offense, you know, they, they threw 35 interceptions oh. in those nine games. Yeah, those nine games before <laughs> I got there. They, they ran a spread offense because that's, you know, it's 2006. Everybody's going to a spread offense. But they didn't have spread kids. You know, they just they didn't. They didn't have spread athletes. And so when you, when you throw – almost four interceptions a game, it's going to be tough to win. And so, you know, we came in, brought in the wing tee, and they're like, what the heck is this? You know, this is old school football. This is dumb, da, 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 da. But then, and I told my staff, I'm like, look, we got to have early success changing this entire offense because the parents don't believe in it, the kids don't believe in it. But then, you know, when we won that first game and we, we – 
it was like we'd won a championship. You know, these kids got to celebrate. It, it was just so much fun. And I mean, that probably by halftime, the kids were in love with the offense, you know. So they saw how how well it worked against this other team who, interestingly enough, they were also running the wing tee. Uh, but we were just we 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 did very well against them that night. And so the kids bought in really quick. Um, and then you just you gain more trust when you're able to do that. You know, um, they, they believe you even more. So you, you start asking more out of them um, because they see that you are right. And and they 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 perform even better. So whereas if, if you don't get some some early wins, some early successes, when you're, you're telling a group of kids, you know, this is going to happen if you do this, if that stuff doesn't happen early on, you're going to have a lot tougher road to hoe. Yeah, possible mutiny, especially when you get parents involved too, who, like you said, they don't believe in it necessarily to start out with either. Um, I wanted to kind of shift the conversation because I want to make sure we get to this. And I think it's it's um, it's important for coaches to know that they're not alone when they're trying to get hired and, and change jobs or, or just break into the coaching ranks at the start. In addition to, you know, being the president of the California Coaches Association, I know you also do um, some consultant work for coaches and helping them, whether it's I don't know, like resume work, whether it's writing a cover letter, whether it's like interview questions to expect, things like that. Uh, and so, you know, I know a, a brunt of what you've accomplished in your career has been helping coaches get hired into jobs that, you know, maybe without that consulting, without bouncing ideas off somebody, without the help with cover letters and everything, um, they might not even, they might not even get into the door for the interview, right? Uh, and so just in terms of that role of your life that you've done, um, what are some of the, the key things that you've found that have been successful for coaches uh, in that hiring process? Uh, you know, first of all, it's just, it's being, I mean, the most important thing is being able to sell yourself. Being able to sell yourself on the resume, the cover letter, that's where, you know, my clients, we've had a lot of success getting guys into the interview room because of what I'm able to put on paper um, from from these, these coaches' careers. Most coaches, they don't know how to write a resume. They don't know how to write a cover letter. And so they apply for that job. I call it the job of their dreams. Um, they apply for that thing and they, they don't get an interview because they don't stand out on paper. And a, a lot of times, let's, let's be straight and honest, the really good jobs, a good administration has their guys picked out before the job's mm -hmm. even open and posted. You know, that's yep. at the end of the day, that's the truth. But there's a whole lot of jobs all over this nation that it's what I call a paper search. It's, it's truly happening through a resume inter a legit resume and interview process and so um in order to get into that interview room you'd better do a real darn good job of selling yourself when you know when i hire a basketball coach out here i've been an athletic director for six years in southern california when i hire an athletic director i'm sorry when i hire a basketball coach i'll have a hundred i'll have a hundred uh applicants you know and so when, when I'm, and I'm, I'm old school, I print every one of those suckers out <laughs> and, and I, I put all those resumes in a pile and I'll spend a couple hours going through them. And you, you, I, I make three piles, you know, I make a, uh, a, a no pile, a yes pile. Yes. I'm going to interview this person, no doubt. 
and then a maybe pile, you know? And so your resume better stick out well enough to get into that yes pile. Cause usually by the time I'm going through all the hundred of those, I've got my, you know, five, six guys I want to interview in that yes pile by the time, you know, by the time we're, we're done. And usually that yes pile gets up to, you know, 10 or 12. And then there's five or six maybes. The first thing you do is throw those maybes into the no pile. And now I'm minimizing those, those 10 or 12 down to five or six. So, um, you know, we've found a, a great way that we, we build resumes um, in a way nobody really thinks about. And so that's using, you know, the, the secret very quickly. It's using stats, facts, and figures to, to show how you've made a difference where you've been. And uh, that's, that's a secret sauce to my resume building process. And, um, you know, obviously a lot more goes into that than to it than that. Just formatting a resume. A lot of coaches mm-hmm. lose the battle right there because it, it's not appealing. People look at it. They get either underwhelmed or overwhelmed just on how a, a resume is formatted. So we, we, we format our resumes in a, a very unique way um, to encourage the, the reader to actually read it. So, um, yeah, those are, those are a couple of things we do. Well, and I hear so many guys when they talk about um, when they're applying for jobs and stuff, just who I've, I've spoken with almost to a T, the one thing every guy says or, or gal says about themselves, if, if I could just get in for an interview, they'd take me, right? That's what everybody seems to think, but yeah, um, it's not always yeah. true either. So, you know, let's say you get past the interview process or get past the 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 starting process, resumes, cover letter. Okay. You're chosen. You're coming in for an interview. Um, I know something you're big on is, is I think you call it the shock factor, but the idea of, of knowing more about that school's coaching situation than the people that are in the room interviewing you. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a big deal. It's, uh, I call it, you know, shocking the interview panel. And this was something, uh, I did to get an athletic director job in 2012. I tell in my book, uh, wrote a book, an insider's guide to scoring your next coaching job. And I tell this, this story in there, how, um, they were talking about some of my goals, you know, what are some of the, uh, kind of a standard question. What are some of the goals you would have in your first year, your three year, five year plan. And so I started talking about one of the programs, their softball program that had lost, I don't know. They, they, they had like a 30% win percentage over the last five years. And I just, I found that through, you know, research on their website and max preps. And, and then I found out that over those five years, they had, they had four different head coaches. (laughs) And so when you have four head coaches, you're not going to be able to establish a very good program Four head coaches over five years. You're not going to be able to stand, uh, establish a very good program. And so I I talked about that, you know, one of the first things we need to do and not just that program, but a lot of those programs were just losing recycle or cycling through coaches way too quick. And the program could never, you know, they could never get things on under their feet, very solid. So I talked about how we we had to stabilize the coaching staff and, you know, one program that's really suffered here through, through all the changes, you know, as a softball program, four different coaches over five years, kids have only won 30% of their games. And one of the, one of the, there were five people on the interview panel. One of them was a board member and he, he stopped me and he looked at the principal and he goes, is this man right? We've had four coaches in five years. The principal <laughs> goes, yes, you know, something like that. And he goes, 
And those girls have only won 30% of their games. Is that right? I mean, that sounds awful. And, <laughs> and the principal goes, yeah. And the principal goes, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's probably around there. It's not a very good program. And, and he goes, why is that? You know, so the, the principal <laughs> is getting a once for, you know, uh, no. <laughs> in, this, in this interview, you know, by a board member. And it was awkward to sit there and listen to their conversation during my interview. <laughs> no kidding. But yeah, but um, about a year later, I ran into that. I mean, I saw that board member around, but about a year later, I ran into him one-on-one in a hallway. And he says to me, Chris, um, I stopped listening to you after that whole interaction about softball, because I said, this is our guy. This is our guy right here. He said, that's when I made the decision that you were the guy um, we need to bring in to, you know, to change this program. You, you knew so much about our school. You knew more about our athletic program than our, I think, than our principal did. And he said he was just so impressed through that. So, um, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm actually a principal now, I'm no longer coaching. But very, very, very few people interview with that kind of passion and zeal for a job. Um, I can tell at the very end of our current interview, you know, we say like most people do, do you have any questions for us? And boy, I can tell when these, these, you know, now it's, it's mainly teachers that I'm interviewing, but you Mm -hmm. can tell that a lot of these folks, they just know, they know nothing about our school by the questions they ask at the end. And, um, that's, that's a real shame to see, you know, people just not preparing for, for a, a position that they want. And, and a lot of times, you know, a position they need, but that's how you go into, you know, you get in that mind frame of, I'm going to shock this interview panel by knowing, you know, I, I talk about trying to know more than some of the people on that panel about the job. And you'd, you'd be surprised how many times you, you do know more, um, about a job if you really dig in and do your homework than some of the folks on that interview panel you know I, I interviewed for a principal job a couple summers ago um, and you know I was I was quoting some of their their state statistics I was quoting some of th- this particular <laughs> school had lost 400 kids over a 10-year period and I, I had been able to help diagnose that just by talking to a lot of people around that town and you know, one of the, 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 the class of the classified president, the classified union president stopped me during the interview, turned to the superintendent and says, have we really lost that many kids in the last 10 years? <laughs> and, and, um, <clears throat> the superintendent was brand new in this district. It was her first summer there. And she said, you know what? I don't, I don't know exactly if, if that stat is accurate or not. So, and it was, it was a hundred percent accurate, but those are the the ways that you can, you know, a big all encompassing idea and way for you to really garner some trust and credibility in that interview process. Demonstrate that you really want the job by shocking the panel with what you know about the job. Uh, well, with that, when you're talking about questions for people, I got to make sure I ask this to kind of finish up because I know some people go to click on this episode and they'll be like. Palmdale Aerospace Academy. What in the world is that? So can you just sum up for us, like what is an aerospace academy? What does that mean exactly? Yeah, we are a, we're a a charter school about 
an hour into the desert from uh, from Los Angeles, from like downtown Los Angeles. And our school, uh, we're celebrating our 10th year this year. And it's, uh, you know, academy is another word for uh, for school. And we're in the city of Palmdale. So there's where Palmdale Academy comes in. <laughs> but we are in, uh, Palmdale is in the, the hotbed of the aerospace industry. Uh, that area is where uh, we have desert uh, Edwards Air Force Base out there. You've got Skunk Works. You've got just a lot of the aerospace. It's called the Aerospace Valley, actually. Um, uh, the space shuttles landed out there for years out at Edwards, Edwards Air Force Base. And so the school was started by three different entities, the school district, uh, the city of Palmdale, and then the aerospace industry who helped to invest to start the school. And our whole goal there is to uh, develop a homegrown workforce uh, for the aerospace industry. So uh, we're, we're a STEM school, science, technology, engineering, and math. And uh, we use a curriculum called Project Lead the Way for our, uh, our, our, our STEM electives. And it's a very unique school where kids are taking, you know, principles of engineering and uh, flight design, you know, these type of courses during high school to prepare them for that that uh, career in the aerospace industry so obviously not every kid goes into that you know career field but it's just kind of our niche uh our specialty as far as uh, school goes yeah i think it's pretty cool um uh, you know thanks for coming on uh first off i appreciate it a ton um as we kind of close it out i just want to you know give you one more chance hand the mic over to you if you have any I don't know. This is, sounds silly to even ask this because you've had such a career in, in so many hats. But if any advice for coaches, any any lessons they need to take away, any I don't know, any absolutely anything you want to talk about, just kind of hand the mic over to you one last time, Chris. No, I, I appreciate that. I'd say, you know, just um, we, we covered so much ground here today, so many different topics. But I'd say, you know, if, if you're a coach, um, you know, keep keep coaching for the right reasons. We. Uh, Last night, you know, when uh, 18 of us sitting around, I, I started, we talked about earlier on this podcast, you know, all of us guys who get together once a year, all played football, baseball, basketball, all that stuff growing up together. You know, we're 45 years old. We're sitting around not living in the glory days, you know, but <laughs> talking about those glory days, talking about this game or that game or this coach. And, you know, we're not sitting around talking about math class. We're not talking about science class. We're talking about, you know, the good old days, the memories we have as 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 student athletes because of those coaches who poured into our lives. And um, it's it's just athletics is such a special thing. And, uh, you know, don't don't take it for granted as you're doing. I'm sitting here now as a principal. Boy, there's some days you just go, man, I wish I could just teach and coach again. You know, so uh, it's it's a it's a tremendous calling. Um, don't take advantage of that calling you have and, and, and do your best to influence these kids. Fantastic. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Max. Chris is obviously a Padres fan, and at the time of this recording, despite being something like 15 games over 500, the Padres trail the Giants by nine games and the Dodgers by five games in their own division. They're in third place. 
Um, it's crazy. Anyway, wild card bid still seems really likely, so I'm sure Chris will end up happy as the Padres get into the playoffs one way or another. Uh, anyway, uh, Chris has a ton of resources that you can dive into. I went ahead and linked a few of his websites uh, in the show notes. So if you want to check those out and kind of learn a little bit more and, and maybe connect with Chris for something, um, find those links in the show notes and you can do that. Um, like I mentioned at the start of the show, we have our next High School Coaches Club chat on Twitter coming up on Tuesday, August 17th. Starts at 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific at night. Be sure to jump in, connect with some amazing coaches, provide some valuable insights, and pick up some nuggets you can implement into your program. If you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter or if you haven't picked up some High School Coaches Club stickers yet, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. And also don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you feel so inclined. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, most importantly, share this thing. Uh, I don't care where you share it. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, MySpace, if you have one. Uh, Just share it with somebody and help me grow the club. I'd appreciate it a ton. And hopefully we can keep growing this thing and helping coaches out all across the country. Huge fist bump to Chris Four for jumping on the call with me. Thanks again to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode. And of course, to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. I promise it's not awkward. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's it. That's all I've got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.